Would you take your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians 2 this morning. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. I want to read several verses this morning just to set the context. We're not going to look at all of these today, but I think it's helpful occasionally to read the larger context. So verses 1 through 11 in Philippians 2, we we studied verses 1 and 2 last week, and we're going to look at verses 3 and 4 this morning, but I want to read those first 11 verses because they are a cohesive unit, even though we're going to look at just a couple of verses this morning. So Philippians 2, verse 1, uh, follow along as I read. I'll read from the English Standard Version. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a powerful passage, isn't it? At the end of chapter 1, we saw a few verses that point us in this direction for our need for unity as believers in Jesus, as the the church, our need for unity. We saw this need for unity because there's, there's always going to be external forces pressing in on the church, which the church needs to stand against and stand for the truth of the word. We will need unity to stand side by side for the sake of the gospel against external pressures that will always be there as long as we're this side of eternity, this side of heaven. Now last week we entered Philippians 2 and we began to see the importance of unity in the local church in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. And we saw there this foundation for unity. The foundation for unity is seen in verse 1, and we see the call to unity in verse 2. So we heard that last week. Here's this foundation in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement, and it's not a question, it's actually a statement. There is. (laughs) There is encouragement in Christ. 
any comfort? Yes, there is comfort from love. Any participation in the Spirit? Yes, there is participation in the Spirit. Any affection and sympathy? Yes, there is all of this in Christ. So there's the foundation. And then the call to unity in, chapter, in verse 2. So complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. We saw there this foundation, and we hear the call, the command. It's, a, it's, it's adamant. This is important. Today in verses 3 and 4, we're going to see this expression of unity. How are we to express unity as believers in Jesus Christ in the church? How is unity expressed? That's the question we're going to answer. But unity in the church is a necessity if we truly desire to be an instrument used by God to advance the gospel of Christ, I trust that's your desire, that you really want to be as a body of believers, as individual believers, as the church, be used by God for the sake of the gospel. I also realize that you don't just come here to, to be a force for good. <laughs> In the, in the world. I mean, that's the, the Sunday school answer, right? We say that's the, that's the right answer to say, well, why are we here? Well, we want to be a force for good in the world and we want to serve up the gospel of Christ to the world. But we're also here because we have needs. And I realize that and God's word realizes that. It's interesting, though, that when we get unity right, we also begin to find that our needs are being met. And so we cannot sidestep the, the need for unity in the church just because we have personal needs that we need to be met. And, and we can see those being met in the church and in very good ways and in, in necessary ways and ways that God intends to meet our needs. But in fact, God intends to meet our needs through unity also. Unity is what Paul is calling the church to in chapter 1, verse 27, when he says, and you can go look at it, verse 27 of chapter 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So as we continue in chapter 2, looking at verses 3 and 4, it's here we're going to see that the humility as followers of Jesus is essential for unity in the church. Humility. It's essential for unity. How is our unity as a church to be expressed? It is to be expressed through humility. Verses 3 and 4 show us that there are three ways in which we're to show humility. In fact, one benefit of learning humility is the experience of real joy that God gives. God gives joy when we practice, and I do, I do mean we do need to practice humility to get good at it, but when we humble ourselves before God and then humble ourselves before God's people, God gives this wonderful gift of joy that you can't fabricate, you can't make yourselves. And then God uses your humility to promote joy 
in others. So you can bring joy to others by humbling yourself before God and humbling yourself before one another, serving one another. You have joy, God gives you, and you can bring joy to others in the church. So if we're going to learn to promote unity in the church so that we're faithfully standing firm, as the scriptures tell us to, in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, as we see there in chapter 1, verse 27, then we're going to need to learn to do this. Number one, we need to put away selfishness. And we need to be deliberate about this. We need to put away selfishness. This is the first way we must practice humility. In the first part of verse 3, Paul instructs the Philippian believers to do, look at it there, it says, do nothing, important word, nothing, (laughs) do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing. He's, He's not leaving anything with an exception, you can't uh, you can't say, well, that you know, I can be selfish about that, but I'll be I'll be humble about these other things. No, Paul instructs the Philippian believers to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, and that Greek word translated selfish ambition refers to a a desire to put yourself forward, even by unfair means. It's interesting that it originally referred to pursuing political office by unfair means. Does that surprise you that, that in the day that this was written, there were politicians whose ambition to promote self trampled unfairly on others? Indeed, there is nothing new under the sun, is there? Election season was especially unpleasant this time around. That's putting it nicely, isn't it? Sadly, politics has turned into something ugly. Candidates trying to advance themselves by trying to destroy their opponents almost seems normal to us now, which is sad. I say that not to go down the political rabbit hole, but to make a point, a comparison in contrast to that kind of behavior that we see going on in the political realm, in the culture in which we live, the world we live in today, in contrast to that kind of behavior, believers in Jesus Christ, whose hope is in the Lord. I read those verses from Psalm, from the Psalms that tell us who the Creator is, who's in control. As believers in Jesus, whose hope is in the one who is in control. Believers in Jesus are to work to guard against the kind of things we see going on in the political world. We are to work against the kind of self-promotion that shows up in the political world showing up in the church. We cannot afford to let that kind of an attitude show up amongst the believers, those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. The world's way of tearing people down for personal gain is not to be the way of the one who trusts in God. Unfortunately, the ugliness of the political world no longer surprises us. It's like we're getting used to it. We feel like it's normal. That should never feel normal to us. 
as believers in Jesus who are striving for unity in the church. The danger in this is that the same destructive attitude of selfish ambition finds its way into the church if we are not on guard. We can bring the same kind of thinking that we see going on in the political culture and and think that we should do the same thing in the church, and that is upside down and backwards. (laughs) And so Paul warned the church to do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition. Put away selfishness. It may seem obvious, but selfishness is at the root of selfish ambition. Selfishness. If we become a church filled with people promoting ourselves, we will certainly not be about our main business of promoting Christ. We will lose focus of promoting Christ when we fix our eyes on ourselves and our own wants and desires and wishes. Where selfish ambition dominates, unity is going to fail. And the message of the gospel will suffer. But where God's people put away selfishness, God's church can experience unity. When we're serious about putting away selfishness, unity can thrive and the gospel can thrive. God's church can experience unity and the message of the gospel can prevail. The clarity of the gospel proclaimed by the church is what is at stake here. That's made very clear there in verse 27 of chapter 1. I read it earlier. Paul points to the purpose of unity being for the sake of the gospel he does it twice. He, said, he mentions the gospel twice in verse 27. The clarity of the gospel proclaimed by the church is vital. Amen. And one of the ways that we proclaim and make the gospel clear is by demonstrating that the gospel works in lives of people who say they believe it. Now, there have been many saints who have gone before us who understood that their mission was not to promote themselves, but to promote the gospel. Hudson Taylor was one of those people, but even he says, he speaks of someone else. He he says, and once wrote of Robert Morrison, who said, he says of Robert Morrison, when, when as a young man, Robert Morrison had first sailed to China, he was asked, do you really expect to make an impression on the idolatry of the great Chinese empire? In reply, Morrison spoke more prophetically than he knew when he said, No, sir, but I expect God will. Robert Morrison was not about promoting himself. He was about promoting the Lord Jesus Christ. Hudson Taylor also was one who lived that by example. Robert Morrison was a missionary, as Hudson Taylor was. Robert Morrison was a missionary who was not out to promote himself at the expense of others. He wanted to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was confident that if he proclaimed Christ, God would have an impact in people's lives. He was not serving to promote himself. He was serving to promote Jesus Christ, even at risk of his own life. Pastor and author Alan Redpath wrote these words, The secret of every discord in Christian homes and communities and churches is that we seek our own way and our own glory. 
Have you noticed that we live in a me-first world? <laughs> was, we, Carolyn and I were driving somewhere, and I didn't, I, evidently I didn't go quick enough, and, you know, like, I wasn't even sitting in a light either. I was moving, but I wasn't going quick enough, and the person behind me was like, Meh, you know, laying on the horn. I'm like, be patient. There's a semi coming, <laughs> and I'm not going to pull out in front of him. Right? Me first. Get out of my way. I used to joke, my younger brother and I worked at Nationwide Insurance in Columbus, Ohio, a, a while ago, a long while ago. And we, we would, the, the, the fun that we had together on break times, we would try to coordinate our break times so that we ate lunch together and took breaks together. And we'd get on an elevator to go somewhere and we'd get to talking and, and we thought we were the only people in the building. And so, you know, when the doors of the elevator open, what do you do? You get on. But unfortunately, there's always people trying to get off. And you're like, oh, wait, sorry. We thought we were the only ones here. You know, it's me first. I'm jumping on. And it's like we would always reminded that, hey, it's not all about us. <laughs> we live in a me first world. And that is an attitude which will suffocate the spiritual health of the church. If we let the me first mentality enter in and thrive in our midst, unity will be non-existent. The person who is always right and never wrong is, is this person who is divisive. I mean, think about this next word there. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition. But notice in verse 3, he also says, he uses the word conceit. We've got to cut off conceit also. We've got to cut it off in our own lives. We can't be pointing at it in others. We've got to look to ourselves first. Now, that too is part of putting away selfishness. What is conceit? It's vanity. It's thinking of yourself more highly than you should. A person who's always right is kind of like that, who says, you know, hey, this is the way. You know, this, what I'm saying, this is the way. No, no, that's not it. This is it. Galatians 6.3 gives us this warning. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We cannot afford to be those kinds of people. The church will suffer. Our unity will suffer. The gospel will suffer. Proverbs 26.12 also warns, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And so Paul also in Romans 12.16 gives this charge. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And so we come back to what Paul says here in Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now you might be wondering, do you see a problem in our midst? Are we, are we, are we showing ourselves to be selfish? Do you think we're selfish? Are we, I, I'm not suggesting I see a huge problem in our midst. But I do know this, we're all people who are all tempted to promote self. And we all need to stand guard against selfishness so that we can promote unity and so i think as, as long as we're this side of heaven we need to tend to these kinds of things so i don't see a huge problem in our midst but i do know that i do know myself <laughs> as you know yourself and my inclination is to be selfish 
uh, it's probably true of each of us. If we're not on guard, we will not know unity. For unity in the church, we must put away selfishness. As we put on humility, we've got to put off and put on, right? And it's not good to just put off. We need to put on the right thing. And putting off selfishness and putting on humility is the right thing. We, we see what that looks like at the end of verse 3. That's number 2, in fact. You put on humility when you consider others as greater than yourself. That's the second thing we need to pay attention to. Consider others as greater than yourself. In the rest of verse 3, look at it. Verse 3, Paul says, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So to deal with selfish ambition and conceit, we've got to start with humility. We've got to put on humility. One commentator says that there are two most dangerous pests for disturbing the peace of the church. And for both diseases, there is one remedy, humility. What does this humility look like in the life of a Jesus follower? Paul says first that it looks like considering others is greater than yourself. Considering others is greater than yourself. That's not thinking so highly of yourself. Now here's a thought to help us not think of ourselves too highly. Randy Alcorn has written that humility isn't pretending we're unworthy because it's spiritual. Because we can do that, right? We can put on humility because it's the spiritual thing to do. He says, no, no, it's recognizing we're unworthy because it's true. Do you recognize you're unworthy because it's true? Are you humbled again and again by what Jesus Christ has done for you? As unworthy as you are for his love. It's why I think reading in Philippians 2, those verses today from, from 1 through 11 is so moving and powerful because it puts the focus on what Jesus has done for us and how undeserving we are. Humility is what Andrew Murray described when he wrote that it is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me. He's talking about when someone wrongs you, it is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace as in the deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. That's the kind of humility that we will always need to practice. We need to practice this in a church where instead of taking offense at the way you're treated, and I, and I would encourage you this way, to put on humility, you need to work hard at not being offended. <laughs> Refuse to be offended. That would go a long way in bringing unity into the church. It's just absolutely refuse to be offended because most of the time people don't mean to offend. Right. So here's, the, here's a thought. Instead of taking offense at, at the way you're treated, you consider 
that person's needs as greater than your own. It's going to God in prayer, as Andrew Murray says, asking for God's peace and joy, rather than going to others with gossip, hoping that they will sympathize with you. I will never forget, I cannot tell you how many times I've thought of this lesson. I, my first opportunity to be a pastor, I was an assistant pastor. I just wanted to help. And one Sunday, our senior pastor was away, and I was in charge. And we had a missionary who was with us in the evening service. And he went, I guess, a bit long, which I thought, it's okay if he goes long. We don't get to see him, but once every six years or so. So if he goes longer than what we're used to, that's okay. Here's a warning, heads up. If a missionary goes long, I'm probably not going to stop him. <laughs> so just prepare yourself, right? But... The fellow sitting behind me, I was sitting like three rows from the front, and this fellow sitting behind me kind of like clamped my shoulder and leaned forward and said, are you going to let him go on all night? I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I just sat there. I thought to myself, yep, I'm going to let him go on all night. So when the pastor came back the next week, I had a little meeting with him, and I said, so-and-so, here's what so-and-so said to me. And I think, I think we have a problem, and I think we need to deal with it. What should we do? And he very wisely said to me, I know he has a serious back problem. About that man who said that to me. He says, I know he has a serious back problem. And he was probably in serious pain and didn't want to get up in front of everyone and step out to stretch his back. I think we should just let it go. I felt like I'd been smacked in the face. But it was really good. He was very gracious the way he instructed me. I have never forgotten that. I have returned to that so many times. We need to refuse to be offended. And instead of taking offense at the way you're treated or, what it, or, or at what someone says, consider that person's needs as greater than your own. Work really hard to think of, of their needs as more important than your own. Now, to think of the needs of others as greater than your own, it's going to help to have a proper sense of your own unworthiness. The end of verse 3 says, Let each esteem others better than himself, which is the same thought expressed in Romans 12.10. When it says, Paul writes there too, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. If you want to have a contest, this is the one to have. Outdo one another in showing honor. Matthew Henry also helps us understand what proper humility in our lives as believers looks like when he says we must... Be severe upon our own faults and charitable in our judgments of others. You hear what he's saying? He's saying be hard on your own faults and kind with the faults of others. Be quick in observing our own defects and infirmities, but ready to overlook and make favorable allowances for the defects of others. We must esteem the good which is in others above that which is in ourselves, 
For we best know our own unworthiness and imperfections. This should be easy, right? No, this is hard. The devil knows this is hard too. The devil knows our weaknesses and will like to push our buttons in this area. Instead of considering others as greater than ourselves, we're quick to point fingers when others fail. In some twisted way, it makes us feel better about ourselves to point out the defects in others. And I sure appreciate what Matthew Henry says here when he challenges us to stop doing that. I like the the little reminder that someone said, when you point your finger at somebody, you've got three pointed at yourself. (laughs) And we need to think about ourselves first, don't we? we? When we're considering defects, how about we work on our own before God, consider our own unworthiness before God before we point out the unworthiness of others. If we will obey the biblical instruction here, if we will count others more significant than ourselves, then we're going to promote unity in the church. We're going to build up the unity of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to build up and promote the joy of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Build up and encourage others. Make that your goal. Build up and encourage others. Instead of criticizing them, And then you will know the joy of the Lord and unity will be promoted with your fellow believers. You will know what unity is. If we're going to be a church that's serving Jesus in unity, then we must put away selfishness while putting on humility. And that is demonstrated most clearly in what we see next. We need to consider others as greater than ourselves, but we not only need to consider them as greater than ourselves, here's the third thing. We need to care for the needs of others. And I'm using care like a verb here. We need to care for the need, not just, oh, you know, he's got a need. But we need to do something to care for the needs of others. That's the challenge given in verse 4. Care for the needs of others. Look at verse 4 again. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it's one thing to be concerned for the needs of others. And we need to be careful that we're not those people who come around and say, I have a concern for so and so. Be really careful. How about if you're concerned, you do something, right? We need to work on that. How about if we're, if we're so concerned, how about we care enough to help? It's another thing to actually care as opposed to just being concerned. Notice the first part of the verse. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. No, this is not easy. It, what's easy is caring for ourselves. Right? We most naturally care for ourselves. Taking care of yourself and looking out for your own interest is natural. Caring for others' needs is unnatural. Now, some of us may be better at this than others, but we, we should all pay attention to this and we should all work at being good at this. Caring for the needs of people around us. 
If you only look out for your own interests and never look for ways to care for the needs of others, then you're actually going to promote disunity. You get that? If it's just about you, well, there's nobody to be unified with. It's just about you. You're going to promote disunity. Boy, considering others as greater than yourself is how you begin looking not only to your own interests. Think carefully about others and their needs. Consider their needs as more important than your own. And then to promote unity, you need to move on to notice the needs of others and then do what you can to help. Notice the needs of others and then take action to help meet those needs. It is not common to find people who notice and see to caring for the needs of others. But that's what we ought to be about as a collection of believers in this community, in this fellowship at Chardon Baptist Church. We ought to be about noticing the needs of others and then seeing the caring for the needs of others. God's church, with believers who want to serve and honor Jesus, this should be the rule instead of the exception. If you want to experience unity as a church, then we must be more concerned that the needs of others are being met rather than promoting ourselves and just seeking to meet our own needs. You should be looking for the needs of others and looking for ways you can meet them. God is equipping each of us to meet the needs of others. God has given many blessings to each of us. And He intends for us to grow in the way that we're alert to how He wants, to use the, wants us to use the blessings He's given us and entrusted to us. Last week we entered chapter 2 and we saw the importance of unity in the local church. Today we're seeing the path the way forward to true unity. It's through humility. It's through growing up as we grow down, so to speak. We go to, toward humility and, and we mature in Christ in this way by, by lowering ourselves and not putting ourselves too highly above others. What follows in chapter 2 and we read it at the start this morning, is an example of humility seen in Jesus Christ. Jesus humbled himself. Verses 5 through 7 again. Look at them. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not confessed that you're in sinner of need, in need of a Savior and believed in Jesus Christ, those verses are a call to you to trust in the only one who can save you, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's taken the punishment for your sins. And if you're a believer, those verses are now an example for you to live by. If you want to experience true joy in Christ, then you must see your part in bringing unity into the fellowship of the church. 
And this is something we ought to enjoy doing, bringing unity into the fellowship of the church as we each do our part. You must learn to put away selfishness. You must learn to put on humility by considering the needs of others as greater than your own, and you need to see to caring for and meeting the needs of others. So as we pray this morning, let me encourage you to ask God yourself. Ask God in prayer to show you this week how you can, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Ask God to help you see clearly how you can practice this truth this week. Would you do that? Ask God to help you see a practical way to show unity through humility this week. God would be honored if we would do that. God would be glorified, and we would be growing in humility, growing in Christ-likeness, and growing in our unity with one another. And God will bring us joy as we serve Him and serve one another in this way.